Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for war? Yes, sir. We all know what that sound means, ladies and gentlemen. We are locked and loaded with another episode of The Conspiracy Farm. Jeffrey Wilson riding shotgun with my partner in crime, Pat Militich. We have been away for a couple weeks, ladies and gentlemen. We apologize. We had some technical difficulties, which we had to resolve. They persisted, but they are gone now, and I am just absolutely stoked to have our guest today. But before we get into it, man... I have to say, we have a potential sponsor uh, who is very interested in doing some business with a conspiracy farm, Grip6.com. They provide, I mean, the belts that they make are absolutely insane. They're they're made straight out of the United States and uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. All the materials are resourced right here in the United States, Grip6.com. I'm actually rocking one right now. I'm, I'm wearing one myself also. Both rocking the Grip6.com. But uh, shout outs to them, and hopefully we can have a nice, uh, long, healthy relationship. Man, today, our guest, my friend... We scored a big one. We scored a big one. Huge fan of this gentleman. You scored a big one. Well, you know, this is a team effort, sir. Come on. Right. Go right into that mic. So this goes back to, what, 2004, sir, you know, when the Survivor Man started. Your story, man, doing show prep on, on you know, on you. I was already kind of familiar with your work, but going kind of deeper into who you are and everything. Very, very fascinating individual. He is Survivor Man. He is a musician. We're going to talk about that, too, because he has another album dropping. And he's also the host of a new show called Alaska Grizzly Gauntlet, which I don't know. I, I don't. Only individuals like this could do that kind of work. It's just crazy. We were talking off air. Grizzly bears are some of the scariest animals in the world. I'm terrified, and I have no, no clue why anyone would want to traipse around a forest surrounded by 2,000-pound bears, but you are, a, you are a brave individual, sir. Without a doubt. Mr. Les Stroud is joining us today. Mr. Stroud, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing really great. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Thank you for taking the time. I know, like you talked a little bit off air, you're, you're a busy guy. You definitely have a lot going on. You got an album that just dropped. But, um, you know, I know you've probably answered this question many times, but, you know, there's only a few kind of breed of people that you see that kind of do what you do. Um, when did that bug bite you? The, the outdoors? I mean, you obviously are very in tune with the environment and the outdoors. When did, when did you start down that path? Uh, you know, the, the bug, I mean, to go to the bug biting question, that probably would have been when I was pretty young. You know, I, was, I grew up in the suburbs of a city. I was not raised by wolves. And, you know, that would be the great cliche, cliche way to answer. But uh, sadly, I was not raised by wolves, but I was in uh, the suburbs. And my, my love of nature was really fueled by watching Jacques Cousteau and Tarzan movies. Awesome. And Wild Kingdom and... And, um, uh, you know, that got interrupted when I discovered music, but the bug, I was bitten by the bug pretty darn early. As soon as I could watch, you know, <laughs> sit up and watch those shows in the seventies, I was, that was it, man. Nature was everything for me. Yeah. No, I mean, how many people out there have right after their marriage decided to live in the forest for a year with their new bride and how many brides could you find that would be willing to do that? And you guys, you guys roughed it for a year in, in Northern Ontario in the forest, right? Yeah, that goes. Uh, you fast forwarded quickly to uh, you know that that period of life where I gained a significant amount of, of wilderness skills. I've been teaching survival and adventure, um, and uh, my then wife, uh, we uh, we got together, and she was adventurous, and 
just uh, you know, it was it was kind of like let's live the dream, man. Like it's you know when you when you guide, you know you always talk about not coming back. You know you always talk about staying out. Like oh man, I can't believe the summer's over. And oh, I'm gonna start dog sledding soon, so that'll be cool. But you just want to stay out there and really <clears throat> spending that in the bush uh, with with Sue was. Um, was all about, you know, primarily, selfishly, just not wanting to come back to civilization, <laughs> wanting to stay Can't blame you. Can't blame no, you. No, I, and, I, and I'm with you there. No, we did definitely fast forward. I, do, I, I definitely want to talk about Off the Grid. I watch that documentary all the time when I kind of feel inspired to, like, you know, cut cut my electronic digital leash. But, you know, you, you started in music. I mean, obviously, like I said, you have an album dropping, but your original passion back in Canada was music. What Again, when when did that bug bite you? Because I mean, you got some you got some skills and you got some chops, sir. You can sing. Well, thanks. Uh, uh, yeah, the new album's called Bitter and Lake. Dropped uh, two days ago, um, and already got a review on Rolling Stone for um, the video I did of Big Yellow Taxi. Uh, but to answer your question, I was around fourteen, and uh, uh, short story is I discovered rock and roll. And, you know, the funny thing is that created, instead of a, a, a diverging path, you know, paths where, where okay, I, I dropped the, the adventure in nature and I just went into music, I, I kind of did do that, but I never quite dropped the adventure. And then the path was like music for like 10 years. That's all I wanted to do until I was about 25. And I was about 25, 26 when I, when I went back to adventure and, 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 and nature. But I... But all through that period, I was still, my eye was still out towards, you know, getting in canoe trips and doing things like that, even though I was, you know, writing songs and playing rock and roll. So this new album, what percentage of those songs were written, the lyrics, while you were, you know, on an adventure? So the way it works for me is um, I never take a guitar out there with me. Um, I prefer... To get out and just let the bush be the bush, let let everything that's going to happen happen. Take it all in, and then later, you know, like tonight, I'll be sitting on my couch, maybe a glass of wine, just sitting there, or a beer, and just and a guitar, and I'll start, you know, playing. And 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 that by then, something from months ago or weeks ago that I spent time out, you know, on the water or in the bush or something like that, has percolated through and then comes out creatively. That's that's my seems to be the way I do it. That's interesting to hear that process because you know listening to a couple tracks off uh, off that recent album, and I tell you what, um, your your cover of of Ben Harper's jam, um, excuse me, Mister, you killed it, dude. You definitely killed it, and you could definitely tell, you know, through through your lyrics that you know you definitely have a tie to the environment, to nature, and that's interesting to hear your process. You don't really go out into the bush and and write and play guitar. You kind of take it in and then and go home and, and write and let it come out in that way. So, I mean, what, drop it again. What's the name of that album that you just dropped, sir? So the album's called Bitter and Lake, and um, it's produced by uh, Mike Klink, who is a legend in the business. He produced <laughs> all of the Guns N' Roses album. Nice. And, you know, Metallica and Aerosmith, you name it. Um, Holy crap. And he got involved because he loved the music, but primarily also because we were focusing, hey, man, I'm over 50. You don't want to hear my love songs. So this was... This was <laughs> This is material about, you know, either celebrating nature, protecting nature, the wilderness, because uh, the core of my mission, even as Survivor Man, was always to get people back out in the bush. And Mike respected that, and he jumped on it, and he loved what I was uh, uh, doing musically, especially because it, there was a message. 
and 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 uh, also because I don't really pull punches either. If the message is a hard one, I go there. And so, like the Ben Harper tune, you know, uh, that uh, he did a little funky, a little you know, classic Ben acoustic, and I just wanted to rock it up and be, and go darker. I, I went darker with his, darker with Joni Mitchell's. Big Yellow Taxi, Darker with Bruce Coburn's If a Tree Falls. And it's not that I did a whole bunch of covers. A lot of my albums are primarily 90% original. But um, in this case, Mike and I thought these would be some great songs to include. Yeah. So let's go back to your adventures in the wild. I mean, you've had some close calls. You've had some animals, some predators hunt you a little bit. You've had, I mean, everything from a, a rollover in Mongolia. You've had a lot of crazy stuff happen to you. What's, what's probably the most hair-raising experience you've had during all of your time in the wilderness. And before you answer that, you had one about 10 years ago about the the elk, the male elk that tracked that ran you down. And I was going to ask you that. How much has changed? Is that story still the story, your, your top one, if you remember what, the one I'm referring to? Yeah, it was boot. It was a moose, actually. And and I think to, to, to pull off the word that you just said, like the hair-raising, yeah, it'd be the moose one. You know, the jaguar was... Co- Kind of wild and crazy and bizarre, but I see. I felt like I had it under control. You know, I've been chased by elk uh, um, in BC, uh, but uh, I've had lynx come up and sniff me. Um, and I was face to face with a cougar last year in in Oregon. But but boy, when you got fifteen hundred pounds of bull moose in the rutting season coming straight for you with big red eyes and grunting and snorting, yeah, that that, that definitely took it. I, I mean, I'm, when I am clambered up a tree, I was shaking like a leaf, no pun intended. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, that, that definitely, being chased by the moose still still holds the record as being this. I never used the word being scared in the wilderness except for that story. Right. I, I recall when you were in a desert and you had gotten heat stroke, you were, you were overheating, I think you were dehydrated. Um, suffering a little bit. And the only reason I could relate to that, I can't relate to having anything wild chasing me besides, you know, that we have a ton of buck deer around here and, and a few other things. But I tell you what, I, I did a 50-mile run one time in 97-degree heat, and I went through about four hours of severe heat stroke during that during that run. And I, in watching that video of you, I, I could certainly relate to that because it, it can get scary. It could certainly kill you. Well, yeah, and you can you can see kind of the ashen look in my face and the glaze in my eyes there. And when we actually, um, uh, when we were sitting in the edit suite and looking at it, it's funny because the American version they fought with me hard on on. Uh, it, it's about there's about 38 seconds I think of me just staring at the camera because I was just gone loopy from the heat stroke. And in Canada, I, I had more control. It was early in my days. I didn't have as much oomph as I do now um, and uh, and so it, the cut that we showed in Canada showed the full 38 seconds and you just see this gaunt stare at the camera like this dude is going to die and I remember looking at it going just leave that and you know don't cut it don't try to make it anything it is what it is and and you touched on the heat stroke it's chased being chased by a moose is certainly sensational but it's the <laughs> internal things it's the little things that uh, the, the uh, hypothermia in Norway, it's the parasite, you know, that I got. Those are the things that really are <laughs> far more dangerous. Yeah, yeah, they really are. 
So, I mean, going back to, I, I listened to, you know, in my show prep, I listened to you uh, chatting with uh, Mr. Joe Rogan not too long ago. It's been a few years. But, I mean, you were just talking about, you know, the origins of how Survivor Man started. You know, obviously that was the bug had bitten you. You were an outdoors guy. And you were really, he called it, you know, you were the originator of the selfie, which I never really thought of. But, you know, it was just you out yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> copyrighted that term selfie. I mean, but that it really was you, and there's been, you know, we won't mention his name like you didn't on that show. Other shows that have come along that have really kind of um, canned their experiences, if you will, and they're really kind of fabricated. What, I mean, it's kind of going back, you know, you were the first. What was that like? What was the impetus to really get out there with a the camera solo? You know, we, we now know these survival shows, there's a big market for it, but you were the first. What What prompted that? Well, the massive chasm between my work and everything all everything that came after was that I was trying to teach skills. I wasn't trying to be a TV star or a TV guru right. or sell product or make a million. I wanted to teach skills. If if I hadn't have gotten the show sold for television, I would have made uh, uh, home instructional videos. You know, I, I was working, you know, for on VHS back in the day, and then I would have put them on DVD. That's that's what I was about was teaching skills based on my love for getting out in the bush. And that, if you look, you know, and and you know, people would, you know, when the other shows came along and they just sensationalized everything, and of course they cheated everything and faked everything, and not just once or twice, everything was set up and staged. Right. Um, it's because that was about ratings. That was about you know n quantity of episodes. Um, you look at my show and you know, so oh, well, this show's kind of slow compared to the others. Well, I was there to teach you proper survival skills. And you know what? I mean, if you think of what was my bar, what was my standard? I wanted to be able to look my survival cronies in the eye, you know, in the eyes and have them go, good show, man. Not like, Stroud, what are you doing teaching that crap? And Oh, all the network made me do it because it's more exciting for the screen, you know. Like, you know, no, man, I, I wanted to teach a fireball right or a shelter right and talk about it. You know, that's why in some shows I even broke into the odd cabin because that's what you do, you know. So that that's that's the difference. Um, and it was a you, you started off by asking me, how did it feel? Well, what I, what felt was it just felt great that I was able to on a larger scale than I ever dreamed teach the skills I love. That's what it was all about. And I think this is just another example of becoming successful because you were passionate about doing something, not because you wanted to be a star, not because, you know, the money, the fame, the this, the that. You were passionate about what you were doing, and that's why you did become a star. That's why so many people did follow you, because of your passion. And I have to ask you, um, I, as a kid, I spent a lot of times in the woods, the forest, on the river, doing a lot of stuff. Um, haven't done that because of life has gotten crazy. I'm on 180 flights a year doing broadcasts all over the country constantly. So I, I haven't had time to get back to what I used to be able to do. But what are the things that most likely are going to cost someone their lives when they find themselves in the wilderness? What are the biggest mistakes that people make that cost them their lives? Well, the, the, I can tell you that the, the underlying cause for these mistakes that you're asking about is real simple. It's too casual, too cocky, overconfident. You know, it's like it's like I like to say a lot of times there's two ways to say the phrase I got this. One is to ensure 
instill confidence. People go, okay, listen, man, I got this. That's one way to say it because then you're just instilling confidence. And you, you know, the other way is to go, I got this. That's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong way to say the same phrase. And that is where the problems start, right down to uh, lack of preparation. You know, I, I'm not, it might surprise you, but I'm actually not a gear geek. Um, a lot of cronies are gear geeks. I say that with love, you know, but a lot of them are gear geeks. You know, they got way too much stuff, you know, um, and they got their packs and, and everything. But that said, you know, man, what is it? A, a, an ounce of prevention? You know? Or the pound of cure, um, for it, sure. Yeah, a big thing in survival is, is, is that preventative of knowing. Give you an example. Uh, last weekend, I hiked for five days in the Marble Mountains in Northern California. And we attempted to go to a particular lake. And I loosely had the trail and the maps from online, but I didn't go the extra degree I would normally go. We could have drove the extra 12 miles and gone down and picked up the proper routes map and come back and start, oh, we got this. Hmm. Well, you know, we didn't get lost, but we wasted two days trying to find a lake we never did find. Wow. And, that, and there was, at one point, we were, actually at one point we were on the side of the hill, and I said, all right, look, at, at this point, we've lost the trail entirely. So this is now bushwhacking. You and I did not come here to bushwhack. We didn't plan bushwhacking. Bushwhacking is a frame of mind. I bushwhack all the time, but I'm, I get ready for bushwhacking. That's a, set, a mindset. We came here to follow established trails that say PCT, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and this way to Rainy Lake and that way to Sulphur Springs or whatever. And so for somebody willing to go, whoa, 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 let's stop back up and we we turn around and we went back and we had the most amazing five days hiking but we were an, an inch away from getting in some serious trouble and lack of preparation you know overconfidence not doing the preparation all that sort of stuff that's that's the real root cause of survival issues it makes me honestly think of a former former ufc fighter evan tanner who went out into the california desert you know kind of it sounded like he was on some kind of you know vision spiritual, quest spiritual, spiritual journey and got out and was and thought there was a spring there that he was going to fill his stuff up with but there was no spring and he wound up succumbing to the elements out there so no you're right I mean, all of that overconfidence, lack of preparation. And on the on the contrary to that, or the opposite end of that spectrum, I don't know if you're familiar with Rulon Gardner, Olympic heavyweight wrestling champion. He uh, is a Montana boy. Their plane went down in Montana into a lake, and he had to swim. And I believe it was it was freezing out. The lake hadn't frozen over yet, but they were lost. I believe for five days, he lost a couple toes, but those guys ended up living. That's a that's a you know he's a mountain man and a yeah. caliber athlete so he's a beast of a of a human being but you know there's some scary stuff that can happen and, and most people would not survive that situation at all you know first of all having to swim almost a mile to shore and freezing to death would be you know I, most people would have drowned before they ever got out of the lake. Well, the, the mindset is a huge thing, right? Like I did a, a special uh, called Survival Challenge where I took out a bunch of hockey and it pro hockey players and so they're all ripped these guys even though a few of them are retired they're still ripped you know and so the physicality is there hey that's great but you know after one night they were like man i don't know how you do that for seven days because there's a mindset involved and the thing is a lot of athletes 
are already in a mindset of overcoming challenges, and so they might tend to do well. Women do better than men. The average woman does better than men in tough survival situations, believe it or not, because the mind is, is a big thing. I wrote a book called Will to Live, and in, in that book, um, I dissected 10 different of my favorite survival stories of all time, including Chris McCandle's uh, Into, the Win- uh, Into the Wind, in, into the wild, into the wild, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, heard that the movie was just done. Uh, they just did the Yossi Ginsberg movie, The Jungle. So I dissected those stories, and Yossi's a great example. Everything went wrong that you could possibly imagine. Include half halfway through his ordeal, he slipped down some mud and impaled his anus for gosh sakes with a stick. Oh. Yet he survived because my anus taking a pounding. Yeah, like his, his mind was strong, and so that's a big part of why you know an athlete might do well. Is it's all about a strong mind out there, the will to live. Dude. Talk about his new show, the Grizzly Gauntlet. Yeah, but before, before, yeah, absolutely. Why, why do you think there's been such? I mean, you popularized this so much in 2004. There's been so many other, like I said, kind of you know shady Johnny Come Latelys, but this is still a, a very profitable, popular genre, the survivalist genre. Why do you think that is? There, yeah, why do you think that is? What's your what's your estimation of why? Because I mean, I see people not really being able to take care of themselves, but in shows like these, really seem to show that there is a, a very big popularity for this for this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, nowadays I can't really speak to it because I think it just went off track, and it's about morbid fascination and sensationalism, and, and you know, watching a train wreck kind of thing. Um, a train wreck that's actually been scripted and set up by a producer who's not actually a writer. Right. It's right. reality, right? It's all reality back now, right? And um, I guess you know how I feel about that genre. And, uh, <laughs> but, but originally, uh, I believe it was, it touched a deeper part in us where we're like, I wonder if I could, if I, could, if I had nothing, I was thrown at the, you know, it's that primitive nature. I wonder if I could could survive, man. I'd, lo- I'd love to try myself that way. And guys would come up to me, you know, um, and say, man, I could do what you do. And my answer is, yes, of course you could. That's exactly my point. You could do what I could do. Maybe even a lot better. Um, that's that's a good the point. point. These are, this is not about being a guru. This is not about jumping out of airplanes. This is about what every single human being can do if they're out in the wild. They can make it through. They can survive. Wow. It, I mean, it's, it's awesome to see. I, you know, definitely, um, you know, getting back to, it sounds corny, getting back to nature, but having those self-sufficient skills it, at the beginning of Off the Grid, and I want to talk to you about that in, in your new show, if any emergency struck, a man should be able to leave his home with nothing more than the clothing on his back and feel like he had left nothing behind. And that's from Thoreau in 1842's Walden. And that's, you know, that's a pretty poignant statement. And um, I, I hope more people can kind of become more self-sufficient like that because we're very accustomed to our creatures your conference our electronics etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know let let the power grid go down or let these let something bad happen and it, it really kind of shows who's um who has what it takes to kind of survive um the new show man we were talking off air grizzly bears just frighten the shit out of me um i don't even know how you kind of do what you do talk to us a little bit about the, the new show you have on national geographic alaska grizzly gauntlet Yeah, well, it's going to be a short-lived affair. I mean, it's done really well. Um, and uh, but uh, <laughs> I got involved and was asked to be involved because of 
because of who I am and what I do, right? And and it was, you know, come and be the authentic Les Stroud, be your authentic self. And behind the scenes with, see, I didn't, for Survivor Man, I've owned everything I've ever done, you know? I mean, that's why a lot of the other shows, that's why, you know, uh, other shows were created on my own network is because I own Survivor Man. They didn't own me, they didn't own my show, and that makes me a thorn in their side because it was a hit. Um, but uh, can I keep going? Oh, yeah, I think I lost absolutely. one. Yeah, we're good. Uh, but uh, the problem with with me uh, owning the show is, you know, it gave me a lot of strength and a lot of courage to stick up for how I believe things should be taught and 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 shown. And so I didn't cheat the show. I did. I stuck with it, and I and I was all about teaching these skills. So fast forward to Alaska's Grizzly Gauntlet, and you know. Hey man, I I, I loved uh, uh, Nash, National Geographic, uh, but I was brought in to be that guy, and that you know, no compromising. And that's what I said, I'm no compromise. But when I got out there, I was teamed up with a producer who wanted to make a reality TV show. It, I fought, you know, I had to fight tooth and nail to get the show on, uh, to be what it is on air that you're about, that you've seen or that you may watch, um, because there was you know a lot of emphasis put on creating stories that didn't happen I wouldn't let that be so you are seeing a, a real story I am proud of the series um, it was a lot of work uh, the idea was to have me out there with the wildlife and kind of documenting how they survive what's the mindset of a grizzly bear for survival or the mindset of a polar bear for survival and we did get there you know we did uh, uh, see all of that and, and document it um, so I think it's a pretty cool series. It, 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 I know it rated very well. Um, but suffice it to say, maybe I'm shooting myself in my own foot right now. Um, I don't know that it's, uh, there'll be any more uh, because the cost of being authentic, authentic is, is slowness. Uh, the cost of, of, of quality is expensive. And uh, that's why nobody could really do a show like Survivor Man, be, for real, because it hurts. And it takes a long time. And I had a very dedicated team back at camp that could edit the type of stuff that I would shoot, which is not cookie cutter. And most of television these days, uh, you know, listen, man, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, burst everybody's balloon and tell Virginia there's no Santa Claus. But it's a lot of reality TV being made these days. And sorry, but none of it's real. And, and that includes a lot of stuff passing itself off as documentary. Well, I, I've worked in, in TV. I'm an actor for 10 years, but I also worked in TV production for several years before that, and that was that's my, my degree, what I have in. And uh, I worked on a couple of reality sets, and I was not necessarily shocked, but it was just like, wow. There's no such thing as unscripted. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, exactly, and you know, and no, no offense to the genre, and hey, Godspeed to it, and if you love watching reality TV, great, but you know, I mean, it's like it's like what I, it's like you talk about nutrition. I drink wine and beer. I'd be the first one to tell you, hey man, they are not good for me. <laughs> but pass me a glass, you know. Uh, and it's and it's the same thing. If if you're watching reality TV and you get it and you realize this stuff is absolutely set up, staged, and faked and written, and often not written by show, not by good writers right. now because the budgets are low. They're written by the guy who had the idea, who had a friend who knew somebody at the network, and he gets a show on air. Now he's writing this nonsense about an exterminator or a, I don't know people living in Alaska or survival. And it's all staged crap. No, and you know? I appreciate I mean, your touches of touches of reality. What I, but. What, I, what I appreciate and relate to you 
most of all is is you're a purist and in terms of i can relate that to you know my sport of mixed martial arts that i that i competed in and coached in you know there's an epidemic now of of athletes that can't make weight and that never existed uh when i was competing or coaching we always made weight no matter how much weight you had to cut to make weight for a fight you did it i mean i i was 10 pounds over an hour before weigh-in and i lost 10 pounds in an hour i tortured myself and maybe almost killed myself but i made the weight and i had a conversation with a promoter who's uh, does big shows and i said you know you need to be responsible for changing the pattern of what's going on this is a this is an epidemic and people doing this and i'm disgusted by it so i think the next person that doesn't make weight you cut them on the spot they lose their job you pay their opponent because hmm. they made weight and they showed up and you change things and so you speaking out about you know the fake shows and all the other stuff i think it's important well i mean you know what the problem is we're too earnest you know i've had <laughs> network executives say to me about a pitch you know which is like a little written pitch i've given you well you know less it's a little bit too earnest and i'm like you know i'll just wow it's too earnest you know and i'm and and earnest does not equal boring it doesn't no, right. have to i mean when i beginning when i was asked to to cheat my show you know um i remember one of the lines was we we want to inject a little bit of drama into doing less and i looked at her straight in the face and i said so you're telling me that one man alone in the middle of the amazon jungle with no food or water or equipment for survival for seven days straight is not dramatic enough for you yeah see ya you know right. and uh, i just didn't listen you know i still just did what i did this is a this is a, it is an epidemic it's an epidemic of of um it's a culture of accepting fraud weird, you know eyes and fraud i mean we just we just go with it because it's i don't know what cool i don't and i don't you know sometimes I, i'll say i'll oh, just call me old school well don't call me old school how about you call me somebody who's interested in the the truth no matter how hard it is and it's really really it's getting a lot harder to get to the truth of a documentive show tv show or series because it's so much cheaper and faster and easier to just write what was supposed to happen with those grizzly bears and write what happened walk down the trail and write that in than it is to document what actually happened right Wow, something to keep in mind. We're trying to shop uh, this little outfit here. I'll probably never have another job in the TV industry. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, like I say, Pat and I are trying to ch shop this podcast and turn it into a TV show where we kind of go on the road and hit some of these different conspiracy spots. And, you know, something I've always been very mindful of is that very thing you're talking about. I mean, this isn't going to be a reality TV show, but to be very mindful of the producers we get on board to not you know, manufacture what we're trying to do because a lot of these subjects, man, we're talking third rail stuff and I do not want it. So you want a real Area 51 arrest. Yeah, <laughs> Area 51. Well, you know what it'll come down to? This is what it'll be. It'll be an executive producer saying, okay, listen, on this show, we're going to kind of say that one of you forgot something really important and that's going to piss the other guy off. So we're going to have you, we're going to get you like, we've got to get you like, exactly. So that's, that's where it comes in. Meanwhile, you two guys are getting along famously, dude. You know, but you got to pretend to be bickering because some stupid TV producer yep. thought it would be cool. You Na know, nail on the yeah. head right there. That's exact. Yep, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Yeah. So we uh, we appreciate your time. We know that we only had thirty minutes with you, sir, and we we certainly appreciate you we joining us. Uh, please, another shout out about your album and and any way people can get in touch with you or follow you okay. on social media. 
Yeah, let me do you, give you the update. By the way, in case I look really weird because I'm scratching a lot, I'm actually there's a lot of mosquitoes in my house. That oh. so cold outside, they all came in. Um, <laughs> uh, so right now, I've got the Alaska Grizzly Gauntlet is out, and for better or for worse, you know, I'm proud of it as a series and the work that I did on it. I got super close to some amazing Kodiak grizzly bears. We're talking four feet. You're you know, a it was wild <laughs> experience. And so, actually, sorry, just to digress, to case in point. You know, it, it was tried to make it look like it was this big, scary thing. This lone female just wanted to play. Wow. I mean, you probably could have reached out and touched her and rubbed her belly. She was that tame. You know, you didn't dare because it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. But she just wanted company. She, you know, because she was a juvenile. She wasn't sexually mature and she didn't have a family anymore. And we were there. She wanted company. Wow. So anyway, a Glasgow's Grizzly Gauntlet, pretty cool show. Um, and then uh, my brand new album is called Bittern Lake, produced by Guns N' Roses producer Mike Klink. Um, and uh, two new videos, uh, one for Big Yellow Taxi and one for my own lead single, How Long, uh, directed by Matt Mahern, who did all of U2s and Tom Waits and Metallica and Disturbed Sound of Silence. You're hooked up with some winners. Um, yeah. Yeah, tremendous director. Um, and then um, I'm... Pr I'm pr just finished putting the finishing touches on a brand new feature documentary film. It's a dark subject matter. I, I, it's about um, a school shooting. And um, I'm working with Bruce Coburn and Robbie Robertson is giving me some music as well. Um, but we're just about done to release that. And other than that, uh, you know, always talking with the networks. <laughs> Maybe not after this. <laughs> Maybe not Nat Geo, but. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I said, man, they know. At least they better know when they call, like you guys need to know when you call me you get what you ask for you know this is this is it this is me I'm just a that's just why a that's Canadian. why we were, that's why we became fans yep. I, they should recognize that yeah everyone should recognize it. it it makes me you know I realized you know someone said to me when I was stressing out about that series because I really wanted it to be you know the real thing you know and. You know, everybody asks, like, well, it's not Geo. It's going to be real. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, that, that, you know, oftentimes, I don't, I don't want to swear on your show. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. You can but, say whatever you uh, like, I'll sir. Well, I'll, I'll try and say it gently so, so you can play it again. The reality is sometimes, like, I'm not claiming moral high ground, but when you're the – when you all agree to something and you're the one in the room going, guys, we all agreed, and now everybody wants to sell out and compromise – you're the a-hole. You're the guy holding up. You know, so, right. Guys, but, and that's me. I'm that guy who's like, this isn't why we all came here, guys. And, and it was like that for Survivor Man. And it's like that with my, my music, you know. I'm trying to pull no punches and just get out, get out there in the face of it, man. I want to stay in the trenches for the rest of my life. I, yeah, we can follow you on Twitter, Instagram. LesStroud.ca is the website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. is the It's all real Les Stroud. That's that's me. Um, and, and, of course, YouTube and iTunes. The, the, the new album uh, called Bitter Link is out on iTunes and Spotify. And, and, uh, and that's spelled B-I-T-T-E-R-N Lake, ladies and gentlemen, Bitter and Lake. And, yeah, when that when you drop that documentary or anything, man, you are absolutely welcome to come back. I, I Honestly, man, you are a breath of fresh air, my friend. I've been a huge fan. But to hear your, like, real, raw, genuine authenticity, man, that's that, it's a breath of fresh air, and we really need more of that, especially in the freaking entertainment TV business, man. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, continued success, brother. 
Thank you. I'll probably get in trouble for it, but thanks. <laughs> hey, that's all right, man. Let justice be done, though the heavens fall. That's what we do here on this show as well. Ladies and gentlemen, he has been awesome with his time. Survivor man. Man, kick-ass human being, Mr. Les Stroud. Peace, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. There will always be more.